Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. And remember, I'm only as hip as my guest. I have to tell you, people, um, last week, or was it two weeks ago, when uh, Joanne was out, she bought this rollless toilet paper. Now, I've never even seen rollless toilet paper. And I was looking on my CVS app, because I'm, I'm like that. I'm, I'm a guy who looks for bargains. And I have the CVS app on my phone. And it said, things you may like, because I, you know, I have buy toilet paper and everything at CBS. And so the sales on this roll is toilet paper. And what's funny is it doesn't have rolls, of course. But what's weird is it takes that whole that whole thing for us where we can't sit there and leave the roll and get our, our significant other irritated. Because you used to always do that. You sit there and I would leave like one piece of toilet paper on. And she'd be like, can't you take it and get rid of it? But now it doesn't. And it's the weirdest thing. I don't, I don't know. They've had sneakers without uh, laces. They have toilet paper without rolls. I'm thinking, you know what? Pretty soon they may have actually have uh, jeans without zippers. It's getting really crazy. But anyway, that's my uh, toilet paper story. And, uh, and we have a great show. You know, my guest today is actually from around the same area as me. And I, I met him through a comic named Jay Black, who's a very, very funny guy. One of the top, always voted number one college performing comic in the country. And he, uh, last time he was on the show was three and a half years ago. And since then, he's come out with a slew of movies, which he always does. He has a, a, a child now. And things have changed. And my guest is Brian Herzlinger. How are you doing, Brian? I'm good, Coop. How you doing? Good. I was looking back. You know, you were. I posted our show. It was April second, two thousand thirteen. Wow! Oh my God! How has it been three years? I know, That's and crazy. it's crazy because you sit there and it's like. And the thing is, we do. We get to know each other through Facebook because we see we. We, I mean, even if you know people, you see there's certain things in their lives. And for you, I mean, it's just from from that time. Your life has drastically changed, but the one constant is you still always have what it seems like a incredible workload. Oh, you're sweet. I don't know if my wife would agree with you, but yeah, you are sweet. Thank you. Um, yeah, you know it's been it's been amazing. I, I think if you said April second, right? April April second, like April second or April third, like it was 2013. That's the thing. So. Eleven months later, uh, my well, between that show and and uh, eleven months later, I got married and had a baby. That's amazing. It's so it was crazy. So uh, yeah, my daughter Cleary is two, and and uh, it's been amazing uh, uh, that that kind of perspective you get when you when you have a kid or you get married, and all that stuff. But it's been fun working, uh, and it, I've been really kind of lucky to. I don't know if it's luck or if it's the universe or if it's just busting my ass to make sure that I just always have something lined up. Um, and, and I mean, you have to do that too, right? It's like making sure you have a show, making oh, yeah. sure you have people come to the show. I mean, yeah, it's, um, it's the same thing, but you know, it's, it's a lot, yeah. put it this way, I'll be honest, it's a lot easier for me to get someone in Hollywood who wants to talk <laughs> for an hour than you to actually get a script, write the script, because you write almost all your work. Get it produced and directed. I mean, it's well. First of all, how did how did you uh, start this love affair with movies? Was it when you were a young kid, or how did this whole love affair start? Well, I, you know, it may sound a little a little saccharine, but but honestly, it's when I was real little. When I uh, the first movie I saw in the theater was Empire Strikes Back, and that blew me away. But I didn't understand why it blew me away. And then I saw ET two years later, and and that. Uh, formed a passion for for film, and also <laughs> I didn't know it at the time, but but you know it, it, it created my first uh, crush, which 
led to my first film, My Date with Drew, about me trying to get a date with Drew Barrymore. So, um, so it was a real formulative experience seeing E.T. when I was six. And I always wanted to make movies uh, since then. And then in eighth grade, my parents bought me a full-size VHS camcorder. I'm sure you remember those. Those things were so damn heavy. I mean, when I did stand-up comedy, I didn't. I never got one of them, but I got the one after when they had like the, uh, it had a little bit of the smaller tape and it, it wasn't as big as the VCR, the VHS, but it was the... The, the high 8? Yeah, I think it was the high 8. Yeah, it's crazy. Dude, I, I had so many cameras of every format. It was crazy. You're talking to a guy who owned a Betamax machine. <laughs> did, okay. you have, did you have a Laserdisc? I got a Laserdisc machine with my bar mitzvah money. Oh, my I God. Got, I got the Laserdisc <laughs> and the surround sound system, and I... I brought friends over to show them Raiders of the Lost Ark, and I was like, "Listen to how the arrow goes from left to right in the opening sequence when <laughs> when it comes out and hits the uh, hits the little uh, uh, the piece of wood there." But anyway, yeah, it, it's been nonstop, and I, uh, uh, you know, you talk about you know the movies that I make, and uh, uh, the majority of them being scripts that I wrote. I wrote with Jay Black, your your friend and mine, and um, and Jay and I met in fourth grade. And, and started doing our own comedy bits and and uh, if you will writing together and and that's you know it's it's been a crazy ride just a crazy ride to go from from working in television as a you know starting off as an intern and then a, uh, working up to being a production assistant on the the TV show uh, Chicago Hope that David Kelly ran this is back in 90, 98. 98. Well, how did you get those official initial jobs? Because, you know, TV, I know you came out here, and we had talked last time, I you know, believe you and your father drove across country. And, Good memory, yeah. Yeah and, exactly and, right. yeah, and you came out here. Now, now where you went to Ithaca, I believe? Yep, yep, now, upstate New York. Now, did you go there for film, or what was your major there? It was for film, yeah. It was, uh, it was for film, and it was kind of interesting because... While I was there for film, I started getting involved with the TV station and and uh, wind up uh, wound up really exploring the differences and more importantly the similarities between film and television, which is something that's kind of carried me through my career because uh, I moved out to LA not knowing anybody, and it was literally a year of phone calls I made from my dorm room in Ithaca, New York, trying to get an internship with Steven Spielberg because he's you know the main. Uh, influence in terms of why I want to make movies, and um, and I wound up uh, getting an internship at Amblin, which at the time was becoming DreamWorks in '97, and, uh, and it was just amazing. Got to work with Stephen, met Stephen, and 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 well, I actually I met him in high school, and then got to <laughs> get reacquainted with him when we were uh, on the grounds of Amblin at Universal Studios. So, um, but that internship ended, and I. There was no job openings at the time uh, for for assistant work at Amblin, so I wound up uh, meeting and and uh, chatting with uh, an alumnus alumnus from Ithaca named Bill Delia, who at the time was the showrunner on Chicago Hope, and he gave me my first paying job as a production assistant, and that got me in with Bill and David Kelly and and as a production assistant. You know, I, I wasn't on set as a production assistant, which is a great experience in its own right. But I was fortunate enough to be a production assistant with the writers and producers. So, what so, would you what would you do with them? I mean, if you're not on set, because you know I've been on sets where the production assistant wrangles people, make sure everything's yeah. happening. What did you do as a PA with the writers? 
It was honestly, dude. It was it was the best at the time. I didn't know it, but it was the best best kind of road to go down because I was, I mean, I was photocopying scripts, I was distributing scripts, I was delivering dailies on VHS on my bike on the 20th Century Fox lot to all the executives, the people that were in charge of the show or had the power to make notes to the shows, and and I would I uh, you know made coffee, cleaned up the kitchen, all that stuff, but. The important thing was I had FaceTime with all of the important people that made decisions there. So I got to not only get them to know me and, and let them see that I was more than just a PA and that I had aspirations to direct and write, all of that, but also to be a fly on the wall with some of the best minds in the business. So when when my shift ended you know the normal work day with the writers and you know and the executives was you know six or seven o'clock at night but oftentimes the show would be shooting on set until nine or ten o'clock depending on what they were doing so i would just go on set every night and just hover and and some of the best directors in television you know went through that show and, and it was just a really great education you know i say i learned more about filmmaking from from working with Bill uh, than I did from film school because it was learning the, the the why of doing it, not the how of doing it. And it. It's so funny you say that because it's true. I mean, I know I, I had an actor, uh, Brett Cullen, on who talked about when he was on the set of The Replacements, he played the jerky quarterback. And mm-hmm. he, instead of going out, he would go and he would watch Gene Hackman act. And he said it was so invaluable just to see someone at the top of the game, just like the people you were working with, were at the top of their game, just looking at them and seeing their habits. And even though you may not be writing it down, it sort of is like probably like an osmosis into you that it probably, you just sucked it up. Right, right. It, that's what it was. But it was also because I remember John Tinker, who uh, his, his dad, Grant Tinker, is one of the you know kind of people that are responsible for television the way it is now, producing like St. Elsewhere and Mary Tyler Moore, like all these different things. And um, John once said to me, uh, dress the way you want to be treated. Not not your position, but the way you want to be treated, the way you want people to see you. He wore a shirt and tie every day. Now, I tried that. Uh, <laughs> but, but, you know, copying scripts with your tie is definitely a life-threatening <laughs> proposition. But, but it made me think about, I wanted them to know who I was, not what I was doing. And so I made it very clear that, that I was shooting. And the way I did that was I, I made a short film. My, the first, at the end of the first season, I worked on Chicago Hope. Uh, I, I talked to the, everybody and, and got their support in making my first 35-millimeter short film using the resources I had at Chicago Hope. So the director of photography, a guy named uh, James Bagdonis, lovingly referred to as Bags, who is now the DP on uh, Modern Family, and a director as well, uh, got me a full-on 35-millimeter camera package from Claremont Camera. Um, Rob Korn and Bill D'Elia and John Tinker got me the short ends, which were, you know, the shows were at the time shot on film, so it was all the leftover film stock that they didn't use, and I got to get all that for free, and then I shot the my short film over the summer, and then when we came back to work for the next season, they would hide my footage in with the dailies of the new episodes, and they would process film for free a little bit at a time. So it took me, imagine waiting three months to see the footage you shot over the summer. Right. Uh, and, and then I would 
use the Avid's because I knew how to edit on Avid because of film school, and they let me use the editing bays at Fox, so I would sleep there on the lot and just edit my movie, and, and then I had a screening on the Fox lot when, the, when it was done, and I tell you, man, every member of the cast and crew came and watched a 21-year-old's 13-minute short film, which was not good. It wasn't good. It was, I thought at the time it was the best thing ever. I actually made it as an homage to the bike chase in E.T., um, but, but it's terrible. It's not a great movie, and, um, but, but it was so great to have the experience and, and the kind of fam- family feel uh, of being with the cast and crew like that, that just, I'll never forget it. And, and, uh, yeah. And then I went on to Ally McBeal with Bill as his assistant. I got promoted to being the executive producer's assistant and it was just more freedom and more access, uh, of learning. And, I- as you were doing all this, what yeah. what in your mind were you saying? Okay, man, you know, I know where I want to. Did you give yourself a time frame, basically saying, okay, this is great, I am learning, and you had a great experience with the short movie, and you got along with Bill, and Bill's was a mentor to you. But what what was going through your mind? Were you sitting there going, okay, I, I got to hit the major leagues? Were you in a rush, or were you just absorbing and saying, I'm gonna I'm gonna learn and take my time, so when I do get the chance, I'll knock it out of the park. Oh, I was so in a rush. I, I was, I, I was saying to myself, kind of reminding myself, okay, be cool, kind of temper this because I really wanted an episode of Ally McBeal to direct, you know, and 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 I kept doing these short films and doing like the end of the year rap videos, getting the whole cast and crew together, and you know, lip syncing to Good Lovin', you know, a bunch of different things. And I just wanted people, it was like a cry for people to say, give me, give me a shot to direct an episode. And, uh, and obviously when you're kind of, I don't want to say young, but just new into the, new to the kind of politics and the, and the kind of process it takes to get an episode of television to direct, um, it's hard. It's very hard. And, and it's not something that even Bill, you know, somebody that, that I consider family. It's not even something he could just say to the network, yeah, I want this guy to do it. it it's not that easy. Um, and so I really wanted an episode of Ally McBeal to direct. And by the time I, you know, I, I started bringing it up and all this and that, next thing you know, the show's canceled. And, and, and that was kind of a, a moment where I was like, wow, look at how quickly this could all go away. You know, it kind of was that moment where you're like, well, damn, if I don't, you know, have something to go to next, you could be screwed. And anyway, that it, it was, the timing was great because that wound up, uh, I wound up getting a job because Bill took some time off after we went and did a couple of pilots together, me as his assistant and him uh, doing freelance uh, showrunner work. Um, I wound up getting a job as a, a post-production assistant uh, at Encore Video. And I was handing out editing supplies to editors in the graveyard shift it's from 7 at night till 3 in the morning. And I could not have been more demoralized. It was, it was like, what am I doing? You know, this is not why I'm here. This is not something, this is not my passion, handing out splicing equipment to editors. Um, you know, and it was, it was one of those things. But it, it, it was a night shift. It left my days free. I wound up going on a game show where... 
I won the grand prize of $1,100. The winning answer on the game show was the name Drew Barrymore, so I took it as a sign. I used the $1,100 to fund the documentary My Date with Drew, which opened up every door for me and was my first feature film that got and it got a worldwide theatrical release and and uh, it's one of the most profitable film of all time. Number four. And, yeah. I, I don't rap- know if it's still number four. It was number four for a while, but I think with movies like... Uh, you know, every single paranormal activity or every single movie by Jason Blum, uh, you know, they all have such low budgets that these horror movies, but, but at the time, yeah, it was the fourth most profitable film of all time. And, and it was, you know, this is something I, I speak about when I talk to, to film students across the country where I'm like, look, if you want to be a doctor, you go to medical school, you do your residency, you're a doctor. You want to be a lawyer, you go to law school, you pass the bar, you're a lawyer. What do you do if you want to be a radio show host? Yeah. Or I mean, a, a, a filmmaker. You do, do you it. Do? You just have to do it. I mean, it, it's yeah, it's a matter gotta, of... Exactly. You, you just got to blaze your own path. And, you know, and, and you and I kind of being from the same area, we couldn't have been further away from, from you know, th- those shining lights. I know. It's so funny. I was just talking to someone the other day, you know, just to think about how far we are. Because people, you know, I'm from Cherry Hill, New Jersey. Brian's from a town next to me, Marlton. And it's just so funny because I was talking to someone. We were talking about music. And I'm a big Elvis Costello fan. And he had an album called Armed Forces, and that must have been years ago. And the inside, there was a little 45. And it was Watson the Detectives and Allison from him live at Hollywood High. And it seemed at that time so far away. And when uh-huh. I moved to L.A., I lived like a block and a half from Hollywood High. And when me and my buddy would go up the street to get a drink at this one bar, we would walk by it. And that's the thing. When we, where we were from, it just seemed... It, I mean, it was. It's completely across the country. Well, but it also it also elevates why you're here and why I'm here. It's it's this, you know, for you, Hollywood High personified your dream of of achieving something that you couldn't get in Cherry Hill, right? Right. Um, and I think that's the same thing for me. It was th- that all kind of came. The fact that I got to to meet Spielberg when I was in high school and then intern for him uh, right out of the gate when I came out here driving that cross country trip you mentioned with my dad, it, it was, it, it's amazing. I, I feel like, I think we all could, could hope to have a charmed life. And I feel like I have a charmed life because, um, I look back on all of the events and the kind of detours the, or, you know, you know, detours at the time that turned out to be the best path you could have taken in, in retrospect. Um, and my life is filled with those. And, and I'm looking forward to more of that because, I could not be happier with the opportunity to make a living telling stories, you know, and, and, and making movies. It, it's amazing. And, um, uh, you know, there are some, you know, you, you get those experiences that you just want to be like, well, how the hell did that just happen? How did I get myself into this one? Um, you know, I think we all have those moments, whether you go to a, a desk for a nine to five job or, you, you know, you, you get to do, uh, something you love, like making movies or being a radio show host. It's, it's, uh, you know, every once in a while you get those experiences that could potentially kind of throw you off or, or kind of make you a little bitter or whatever. But I, I made a deal with myself that no matter what happened uh, in my career, I would never let the bubble get popped. Like it could get bruised and, and, you know, lacerated or whatnot, but it can't get popped because otherwise, if you don't love what you're doing, you just shouldn't do it. 
Right. So now, now after uh, my date with Drew, which is a hit, I know you, then you did some stuff on the Tonight Show. Yeah. And yeah. and now, now did did that feel like? I mean, that was a great gig, but that, did you feel like you were getting pulled away from your ultimate goal to write and direct when you did that stuff in Tonight Show? Because you did segments. Yeah, it, it's such, that's a great question because I, 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 I never really talked about that. It's, it's interesting because I never set out to, to be an on-camera person or personality or host. And, and it was, you know, it's interesting because I didn't realize it at the time, but I did it all through high school. Like I was the host of the, of the movie review show in high school and, you know, the news show and all this stuff and, and had a blast doing it. It was always fun. And again, I, I never set out to, to be, you know, the star, quote unquote, or the face of my date with Drew. It was just my journey. You know, it just happened to be my journey. And, and me being in my date with Drew opened up doors I never expected to be open, nor did I think I would enjoy it as much as I did. But I had a freaking blast uh, doing The Tonight Show for three years with Leno and, and that awesome team. They were great. It was awesome. And creatively, it was a blast and, and fulfilling. And, and, and I, you know, at the time, I kept thinking about, like, Ed Burns. I'm like, well, Ed Burns is in front of the camera and directing. Maybe I could do that, too. But then I quickly realized or validated my, my initial suspicion was, I'm not an actor. I could just do me and just be myself in front of the camera. I can't act. That's, well, Woody, that's Allen, Woody Allen did that for, for his career. I know, but, <laughs> but seriously, I, I, it's always funny. I always say about my date with Drew, I'm like, why would anybody want to watch this guy for 90 minutes? But um, it, So did I feel like I was getting pulled away? I felt like, I, I, felt like I, I was trying to figure out if the on-camera side of things could allow me the opportunity to do the filmmaking, uh, you know, like give you enough kind of, uh, I guess, recognition or um, accessibility that you might not have to, to, to break through the wall of getting to make films. But um, it was, I, I did eventually have to kind of make that decision of what did I want to put my time into? Did I really want to put my time into pushing the hosting side of things um, or just really figure out the directing, which is something I always wanted to do. And, and I never felt like they were, they were kind of individual. I always thought that, that, that there was an opportunity for them to kind of coincide with each other. Um, and then while I was doing The Tonight Show, I got a call about this $5 million uh, comedy called Baby on Board that, that I was offered to direct. And... Uh, you know, once I got that offer and, and and knew I was in the running and heard myself kind of pitching myself on why I should be the guy that gets to direct it, even though the only thing I've done prior to this was an $1,100 documentary that I co-directed with two of my buddies. And and I was so passionate about getting the gig and so excited uh, to say action on the first day of shooting that movie in Chicago, which was which happened to be my 32nd birthday, like first day of shooting. Okay. And I couldn't have been happier. I was like, this is it. Um, um, um. And I, I'll tell you, the first day of shooting that movie, it was, I remember it was a scene with Jerry O'Connell in a, a law office where he's, he's talking to a client. And, and I'm, here, I'm working with actors like Jerry O'Connell and John Corbett and Heather Graham, people that have had long and very successful careers. And I'm here directing them. First time I'm ever working with actors, really. Okay, like, like giving them 
you know, character notes and beats that, you know, um, and I didn't know what the hell I was doing day one. I, I was, I was scared to death. I was just like, just, you know, BS your way through today. You just get through today. You'll figure, you know, any questions you have today, you'll, you'll know for tomorrow. You'll be fine for the rest of the shoot. And, and the first scene up, um, I was just very, I was scared. I mean, I was nervous. I was, I was petrified as, as I think anybody could imagine you would be on the first day of shooting a $5 million movie, you know, when you've only had to deal with an $1,100 budget before. You know, uh, it's funny. I've heard that story about, you know, how you, and it makes sense you were scared, but, but it's funny. Do you think like, I mean, the actors have to know you're a first time director. Did you ever think, what do you think's going through their head? Are they sitting there going, Hey, you know, is this kid some wonder kid or can I, can I mold this kid? I mean, have you ever thought what the actors are thinking oh, when yeah. you're the first time, when your first oh, movie? Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. And, and you know what, you know what I did to kind of, to keep that in check was I got to know them. You know, we were in Chicago for a, a few weeks in prep and I purposely asked the producer to bring the actors out early so we could all hang out and discuss it and talk about it. I just wanted everybody to be an open book and, and have communication and all of us be able to ask whatever questions we have of each other and, and work to, to make the best product. And I, I, I learned it on Baby On Board. John Corbett, who's a great guy, great actor, was testing me. Um, he was testing my knowledge of comedy, testing my chops. And, and, and it was in that conversation where he wanted to do something or, or do something one way and then... I let him do it, and it wasn't what I needed for the story. And again, this is you know, second week of shooting or something like that, or maybe first, maybe end of the first week of shooting. And by literally after the first scene of the first day of shooting, I felt good. Like I felt like I knew what I was doing. I I, I kind of got that confidence after the first scene I did with Jerry. You know, where I was like, I I do know what I'm doing. I think I I could pull this off. I could pull this off. And then I started really honing in what my vision was for the movie as we were going. And, and that moment with John Corbett where he, he did, I let him do his thing and then I wanted to do my way. He didn't want to do it my way. He's like, I know what you're going to do. You're going to get me to do it your way and then you're going to use, you're in editing, you're going to use it. And I said, John, I'm not going to use it if it's not good. Let's just try it. Let's just see. And he did it and then he came up to me right after. He goes, ah, damn it. And I'm like, dude, I'm so, what? I, I thought it was great. He's like, it was great. You were right, fine. And, and, and that was a moment you know, especially when you're working with actors that are really good. I mean, he, John Corbett's a great actor, um, and and they know what they're doing. And 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 the smartest thing you could you could do as a director is just let the strengths of your cast, the strengths of the script, uh, make their way to the screen. Because if you do anything to hinder that, you're an idiot. There's there's no reason to do it. Um, and you know, I had Paul Servino do the same thing to me on on the first day of shooting the movie How Sweet It Is. This is a guy who is, you know, so vocal about how many films he's done, and, and look, the guy's got one hell of a, a resume. Oh, I always I do. Mean, it's funny when I whenever I, whenever I look at IMDb and it's over a hundred, I just go, "Wow!" And and it's funny is it's over a hundred of like real projects because you know now how people can put on IMDb they can put oh, you know sure. some bullshit that they were in. You're like, that's not even a that's like that's like a you did a YouTube short, but that's the thing I know for you. It's like you go against, I mean, Paul Servino, the guy's legendary. Hell, even his daughter's an Oscar winner. I mean, it's I like, it's like, I wait know. a second. And, 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 and we were dealing with a producer who just wasn't a great person or a great producer. And, 
and we kind of bonded over that but 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 she made his life a living hell at the beginning of this thing and it was interesting because he was just such a in such a bad mood when he got to set first day because of all the stuff going on behind the scenes the politics involved and all this stuff and he gets to set and he was just adamant about being treated with respect that's all he wanted and 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 being treated with respect that he didn't feel he was getting behind the scenes and to be able to do his job and on that first day he tested the crap out of me where where he was he was you know kind of kind of going back and forth on 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 uh, on how he, he was going to approach the character but also really just how he wanted the set to be um, and by the end of that day you know I, I showed him just by being myself and doing my job that I knew what I was doing and at the end of the day uh, I'm sorry the, the, the beginning of the next day uh, when he came in we did the first scene up and he said to me he's like look uh, that was really good you know what you're doing that's really good and I gotta tell you Coop I'm a big Goodfellas fan you know and, and I'm a big Rocketeer fan so, so I love Servino, you know, and to hear him say that to me was one of my favorite moments in my career. Was just kind of getting that validation from somebody like that. And next thing I know, he goes from grizzly bear to teddy bear, and he's he and I wound up working together on on another project. And I love the guy. The other I mean, project my, was Paulie, uh, project, yeah, which I was I came to visit you guys on the set. That's absolutely right, and and Paulie's. Paulie's one of my favorite projects we did. It, it, it's it's just, I love it, and I'm so proud of it. And it was the first project that Jay and I actually produced together. Um, something we wrote and and that I got to direct and work with Paul and Janine Garofalo and Michael Madsen and Max Burkholder. It was like a, just a wonderful experience. And and just to give you an idea of the business we're in, I couldn't be prouder of it. I wouldn't change a thing about it. I love it. And we couldn't sell it. Yeah, we that's you know, that's what it pretty amazing because it was such a strong cast, and and you sent me the pilot, and and I watched it, and it was an enjoyable pilot, and it's something that I'm someone who, you know, I I like TV, and I like I like the cable right. TV, you know, I like put give me Bloodline on Netflix, give me different stuff, and your show had a good story, just the. Her and him and the son, and that's what gets you pissed off sometimes. Is when you you put on TV and you see some complete crap, and then something oh, yeah. like your project, which was well written, well directed, well. The, I mean the cast. I mean you got you know Michael Matson. It just everyone. It's just a good thing. What what do you what goes through your head when that gets turned down? Do you sit there? I mean, how do you not get frustrated? I know we all know that this business isn't easy, but when you have something that you feels like a project that is really good. And I've heard this with actors who are on these series, which you sit there and you go, how did it get canceled? Like one series was years ago with Harvey Corman and Cloris Leachman as the lead. How does that get canceled? Like how did how do you go through and get back up on the horse when you sit there and go, man, I produced this. This is my writing, NJ's, and it, they, it, I couldn't sell it. How do you keep on focus to keep creating? Well, I, I'll tell you, it, it's one of those things where it's basically you feel like the entire industry is telling you that your baby is ugly. Okay. Like, like Which, you by the way, your 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 baby's adorable, and uh, and <laughs> and I'll tell you, she. Uh, I hope she enjoyed those Dodger dogs because I don't. I can't stand it. Th- I can't. I can't stand the Dodger dog. It to me, they all have welts. 
and they're mushy and they're gross. Let me tell you something. Uh, on behalf of, of Cleary, myself, and the entire family that, that went to that game, we consumed so many Dodger dogs, dude. I could, I could eat them every day. <laughs> they're unbelievable. I, I loved it. I loved it. Sure. Was I sick yesterday? Yes. But I, but I loved it. Um, but, yeah, it, it's demoralizing and it's, it's frustrating and, and anger-inducing. But, you know, what was funny about that was I was also really careful about Paulie uh, being too involved with the the selling side because that's not my forte. I don't, you know, it's, I, I don't claim to be, you know, the 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 producer that goes to market with it. You know, I don't I, I don't know the ins and outs of it the way that you should if you're going to do that. And uh, uh, we were told by a couple of people on the agent side and on the producing side that they would sell it and they just didn't do their jobs. That's it. That, that's all it was. So, so part of me was, uh, it gets frustrating when you hear how many people like it who have seen it. And when you have Sorvino and Janine Garofalo talking about how it's some of their favorite work, I'm like, come on. <laughs> what are we doing here? But ironically, there's a nice little uh, button to this story, which just happened this week of all coincidences. But um, uh, have you heard of ITV? ITV. Uh, ITV, like the letter ITV. They, they're in. They're based out of Vermont. They're do. They're basically a, a festival for independent film and independent television. Okay. And they got some pretty decent. Like HBO is one of their sponsors or whatever. But they reached out uh, to me and Paul and asked us to come and do a Q and A for a special screening of Polly at their festival in October. So um, I think uh, uh, we're going to go. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, congratulations. I, I mean, Thanks, man. I don't know if, it, if it's anything more than watching it on, on a big screen and, and talking about it. Maybe, who knows, if something will come out of it. But um, it's nice to, you know, at least to share the work with people is, is something you can you can take. That's cool. But um, who knows? We'll see what happens. Fingers crossed. Well, you, you talked about watching t- uh, watching on the big screen. And uh, I remember when How Sweet It Is came out. Now, didn't you get the screen out in Marlton or at the Marlton? Didn't, was that the one you screened at the Marlton 8? No, the one I screened at the Mountain 8 was my date with Drew. Okay. Yeah, but How Sweet It Is got a limited theatrical. It got a limited theatrical in out here and in uh, New York and New Jersey. Uh, it got a limited theatrical. I think in Chicago, too. No. Uh, yeah. No, go ahead. No, so it was... It, it was uh, you know, you learn really quickly. It doesn't matter how good the movie is. If you don't have the money to support a theatrical campaign, it doesn't matter. I mean, no one's going to no one's gonna know it's out. No one's going to know it's in the theaters. Um, if they go to the theaters and they see a title for a movie called How Sweet It Is and they don't know what it's about, they're not plucking down their money to go see it. Now, with How Sweet It Is, how did you get the cast? I mean, because, you know, I mean, you had Michael Perret in it. Which... Uh, yeah, I love Michael. Well, I'm a big uh, fan of Michael's, and, and I always... Uh, I love the idea of working with actors that I enjoyed growing up with, you know, like, uh, like Eddie and the Cruisers and Streets of Fire. I just, uh, not only do I love those movies, I love him in those movies. And he's like, he's like one of the coolest, like, heroes in, in movies. I, I, I love them. And, and I thought he'd be great uh, in How Sweet It Is because of the, his comedy ability as well that you didn't really get to see too much of. Um, and he wanted to show that. So I was really happy about Perret, obviously Servino, um, as a musical-loving gangster, mob boss. That was a blast. That was 
that was perfect because he's so well known for mob roles that you can flip it on its head with somebody like Servino and have a lot of fun with it. Um, and then, you know, I got to say, uh, uh, Joe Piscopo, I, I mean, again, you know, like Johnny Dangerously, Saturday Night Live, uh, Dead Heat, I love, do you remember that movie, Dead Heat? Oh, yeah, with him and Treat Williams. Yeah, I love Dead Heat. I'm, you know, you should have seen every day on set of How Sweet It Is is me running lines with Piscopo from Dead Heat and Johnny Dangerously, me running lines with Michael Perret from Streets of Fire and, and Eddie and the Cruisers, uh, like just a, a Sorvino doing Goodfellas, Rocketeer. I have, I, you know, I, we're sitting there having like movie trivia day uh, with all their films. And uh, my, my Joe Piscopo gave me the sweetest rap gift. He gave me the jacket, that gray silver leather jacket he wore in Dead Heat. Oh, that's awesome. I was like, I, I was bawling my eyes out, man. I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. Now, so, yeah. as I say, Michael Prey is also a fan of yours. I don't know if you know that, but because, uh, you know, when I when I tweet guests to try to get guests, I always put in, I mention a few people who've been on my show. And now, because it's been, I've over 500 episodes, I have a long list of catalogs of actors, writers, and stuff like that. And when I put yours on, I forget who I put, but I sent a tweet to Michael, and I ended up putting someone, 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 and you, and he's like, oh, I love Herslinger. And then we went back yeah. and forth on instant messages. He, I never got him on the show, but uh, it was just cool. So he's a fan of yours also. Well, you know, and that's, that's great to hear. I, I, you know, it's so awesome is to meet people that are so passionate about what they do, um, whether it's acting, director of photography, what, what have you. Michael Pere is one of the most passionate, committed actors I've ever met. I love him. He's, and he's a great guy. He's just... He, he's he's always hustling, and and you have to be. Uh, I I can't say enough about him. Um, and he has the the distinction of being the only person in my life to ever punch me in the face. Wow, that happened. I pissed him off. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> he, uh, you know, look, I'm a Jew from Jersey. I I don't get into fights. I you know I eat tater tots. Uh, you don't get into fights in high school. Uh, although there was this one time this girl kicked me in the balls because I cut in front of her in lunch line. Uh, I remember that. But And, yeah, and now, and now she wants to be in your movies. <laughs> no, I don't think so. I'm pretty, she's got to be in jail, Coop. She was so mean. <laughs> such a nasty little girl. Uh, uh, anyway, so no, I was, we were rehearsing a, a scene with Joe and, and Michael, and, and Mike had to come in. He knocked on the door. Piscopo opened the door, and Mike is supposed to greet him with a punch to the face. And... And Joe had a mark, and uh, no matter where I put the camera, I couldn't, you know, we had rehearsed it, but, but the, once we got the camera up there, it wasn't looking as realistic as it needed to. And I couldn't go in the traditional position because the set, uh, I, couldn't, I couldn't put another wall on, around the set where the cameras were. So long story short, I had to adjust the blocking, and I kept saying, I said, Mike, you can't, you're pulling the punch too much. you got to get closer. And I said, here, go, go, go on the other side of the door. And I, I moved Joe out of the way, and I stood on the mark. I said, all right, knock. And he knocks, and I open the door. And he comes in, and he punches me in the nose. <laughs> and I was, I was stunned. And I looked at him. I'm like, why'd you hit me? And then he looks at me, and he looks down on the ground. He looks back up. He goes, you weren't on your mark. That's funny. And, and, and listen, in his defense, I wasn't on the mark. See that? And you got punched by Eddie. I got punched by Eddie. So, it was, 
It was awesome. So after that, no, and then I know I know you did that Valentine movie. Now, how did that come about? Because you know, you how do you find your projects? Because the Valentine was was it for Hallmark or Lifetime? You know what's funny is Meet My Valentine was made independently with a, a company called Mar Vista Entertainment that then turns around and sells it to whoever you know is going to buy it. Uh, it wound up premiering on Ion Channel. Okay, Ion. Yeah, two two Valentine's days ago. And, and I got to say, of all the films I've done since my date with Drew, uh, Me and My Valentine turned out to be, creatively for me, um, the, the most fulfilling. Uh, because the movie that Jay and I wrote and the movie that I shot is the movie that is what you see. I, 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 the only other experience I had with, like, that was my date with Drew. But uh, Me and My Valentine... Uh, was such a unique experience because we were dealing with a, a story that centered around a cancer storyline, a terminal cancer storyline, and we wanted to take the, as realistic an approach we could to it, which meant when you get the death sentence of cancer, does that mean your life stops that day? Are you allowed to laugh a week later? You know, can you go out to a movie two months later? Uh, and and we so we didn't want to outlaw humor in the story, and, and I'm really proud of the balance that we we kind of crafted between the the tragedy of, of of this character Tom's story and and the humor that life brings, you know. Um, and you, you, and so that being said, Meet My Valentine wound up airing on Ion and premiering on digital on demand the same day um on amazon hulu or amazon voodoo google play all these different places and it and it got seen and it got well received but then it was gone and uh and i was a little bummed that it didn't get a wider release and then this past valentine's day a year after it had premiered it wound up on netflix and premiering on netflix for valentine's day so next thing i know we're the eighth most watched film on netflix uh, it winds up trending on social media. C- women in their teens, 20s, 30s, 40s start taking photos of, and videos of themselves crying while they watch the movie and posting it to their social media account all across the world. And it was amazing and it blew up. And, and it, that creatively, uh, having been one of my favorite experiences, the lightning in a bottle that we caught with my date with Drew had only been... Uh, not duplicated, but 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 similarly felt with my Meet My Valentine, um, and now it's being released on DVD July nineteenth because it did so well on Netflix. See, that's so cool though with like different things, and also you know when these and I know you've directed a uh, a Christmas movie too, and yes. when it's the holidays, that's what's great now because there are so many different. Uh, venues to release something like you know it's so funny like around Christmas time and I love Christmas movies but if you put like the Hallmark channel on they have like a month of Christmas movies but not just like two a night like all day and I go how when are these make where are they making these Christmas movies I mean are they making them year round well I made mine in Minnesota so we froze our asses off in Minnesota in in the winter Um, I I gotta tell you that film is called Love Always Santa um, it was originally called The Last Love Letter, but it's called Love Always Santa, and I guarantee you, dude, I, you're going to love it. I'm, I'm so proud of this movie. It's, it's Meet My Valentine Christmas style uh, with the heart and the humor and the magic. I, I'm so excited. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm the Jew who loves Christmas movies. 
I do. I love them. And, and I was so excited to get a chance to, to this is my second Christmas movie. And um, I couldn't be prouder of it. And, and I'm excited for everybody to see it this Christmas. It's going to be really cool. And that, that will be on Hallmark? Uh, I don't know yet for sure uh, because we're, we're still in post on it. And I'm, I don't know how Mar Vista, uh, I don't know where or when they take it out to potential buyers. But um, I'll let you know as soon as I know. Now, now who starred in that? Uh, wonderful uh, cast uh, led by Marguerite Moreau. Do you know Marguerite? I'm not sure. Uh, if you like Wet Hot American Summer, she's in Wet Hot American Summer, and um, she's a terrific actress. Uh, she was just in People vs. OJ as well. Um, she was in Mighty Ducks when she was a, a kid, and uh, uh, she, you know, I, I couldn't have asked for a better uh, lead actress in this film. Um, she's followed by. Uh, uh, Actor named Mike Fiola, who's who did a wonderful job in the film as well. Uh, he's on. A, he's known for a TV show called Awkward on MTV. Okay, and it was really interesting finding the right actor to play a writer. Uh, and you know, I'm sure you know this too. You know, a writer is a very certain type of person. <laughs> oh. So you know, you gotta you gotta find the guy that that can embody those qualities while also be good looking enough <laughs> to. To be the lead in a romantic Christmas film, exactly. And uh, and Mike Mike uh, did both of that, and and I, his he's terrific in it. And we actually discovered a young girl in Minnesota named Isadora Swan, who uh, plays the the daughter of Marguerite in the film. And it's through this daughter that the whole story is told. So she's got a very big crucial role in it, um, and it's her first film, and she just knocked it out of the park. She's She's definitely gone places. I was very, very uh, excited to, to, to be the film that introduces her. And then, of course, we have uh, this hack named Jay Black playing uh, fourth lead in the film. So if you want, when you watch the movie, just mute it whenever he's on screen. Just See, mute instead of Jay Black, you should have had Anthony Stark. I like <laughs> <laughs> Well, Anthony, first of all, Tony Stark, and I'll say it, even though he's Iron Man, uh, is is a close friend and one of my favorite people. And I lovingly refer to him as Hector because of the Hector Elizondo, Gary Marshall relationship with Gary Marshall, puts Hector in all of his movies. Tony Stark is, is like my good luck charm, and he's such a great actor. And I talked to him about, uh, about this film. The problem is when you shoot, you know, this is the lovely world of independent filmmaking. When you shoot a movie and you're using tax rebates, you have to do the most you can to cast locally and it was one of those situations and and the other thing is is i don't I, tony was in meet my valentine I, I and he did a basically a cameo for me and and I, I i'm so lucky that to get an actor like that to to do you, you know a favor for me like that I, I, he just brings this gravitas to the doctor in meet my valentine that um gives tom the news about his condition uh, I, I, yeah, I can't say enough about Tony. And, and that's another thing. As a director, you get to, if you're fortunate enough to get to work with really great people, you just want to keep working with them. You know, you want to keep working with them. And, and I've got a number of those uh, people in my, in my stable, if you will, of actors. Now, no, as a director, how do you adjust to, okay, you're, you're directing Paul Servino and Michael Perret. People who have had 
a great career. They know what they're doing. And then you're directing like this young kid in in the movie, the shot, the Christmas movie. How, as a director, do you sit there? Because it has to be two different directing styles. Because you know, with the the big the big guys, it's almost probably like an unspoken relationship. They know where you're going to lead them. But for someone that young who doesn't all, I mean, it's new and, and to be, have a lead at that age must be, you know, just be, you must be a precocious, precocious kid. How, how do you direct a kid like that when, I mean, do you change your style? Do you have to explain more or do you just also just direct her the same way as you direct the, the old guys? You know, it's funny. I, I, I love that you're bringing this up because one of the things that impressed the hell out of me about Isadora was something that was vital, which is she needed to convey these the, the innocence of being a kid while hitting all of the emotional beats she needed to hit as a character. And I'll be honest with you, I it's very difficult. I'll use this situation specifically. It was very difficult to to cast the role of Lily, the little girl, because uh, the majority of the first round of casting was done via uh, online, via the internet, I, I, you know, because I had to cast locally out of Minnesota, so I was getting actors putting themselves on tape, and these are kids, 8 years old, 10 years old, 11 years old, putting themselves on tape without me having the opportunity to direct them or to give them notes, you know, to, to adjust their performance. So it's basically they either nail it or they don't, and that's it. Goodbye. Option opportunity lost. And and Izzy was one of the ones that uh, I said no to. I said no to her based on her her audition. Uh, I I didn't love it, and it was very theatrical. She she's from the stage. Uh, she was very you know very big in terms of performance, and it just so happened that I had to go to Minnesota to to shoot a winter festival that happened in this small town in Northfield, Minnesota, where the film takes place in December, where we had thousands of people come for this winter fair, which was part of the story. So we had to go shoot it. And while I was there, I met with Izzy and this other little girl, the, the, uh, the two that were in the running, basically. Um, but I wasn't passionate about either of them. And I basically met with them as a courtesy. And I sat with Izzy, and she did... I said, all right, I'm not going to say anything. Just do it one more time and, you know, let's see it. And she did the same thing. Uh, it was too big. And I got to adjust her. And I said, you, you know, you got to just remember that I'm right in front of you with that lens. I don't need you to project to the back of the theater, all that stuff. And the next, the next sentence out of her mouth, the first sentence of the audition, I knew she was it. She, she just, she, she flipped a switch and, it was amazing, just a real, a real amazing experience. So once she was on set, I barely had to give her notes. It was, it was really, you know, I, I basically tasked her with with under watching uh, a bunch of children performances. I made her watch uh, um, Christmas Angel, a film I did uh, with uh, another young actress named Isabella Vidovich, who's a phenomenal actor. Again, I, you know, uh, just so impressed. And blown away because it's a tall order when you're carrying a film. It doesn't matter if you're eight or thirty-eight. You have to carry the film. You know the audience is, is going to see right through it if it's if it's uh, if it's not true. So, um, uh, so I, I was really happy and impressed and relieved that that 
uh, Izzy really got the character and understood the story and hit all those emotional beats. And Marguerite, most of Izzy's scenes are with Marguerite and Mike. And but Marguerite had the uh, I guess good fortune of being a child actor when she did the Mighty Ducks movies. Okay. So Marguerite took Izzy under her wing from day one, and I, I always make it a point to make sure my cast gets to know each other before we roll. Cool. So as much as they could hang out with each other and, and feel comfortable with each other, uh, it was great. And I'm so proud of the relationship that uh, Marguerite's character has with Izzy's character in the film. So that project will be out at Christmas time. What's, we we're running out of time. What's your next project? What are you working on now? Uh, I am currently working on a uh, film called Last Resort from Mar Vista, which I'm going to do in July, which is a... Uh, romantic comedy. I didn't. I didn't write it, but uh, it's either going to shoot in Vegas or Palm Springs in the summer, so I'll be very hot. And then I'm off to do a five million dollar family film in October in North Carolina, currently uh, untitled. Um, but uh, it's it's looking like it's going to be a pretty cool project. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to sharing more with you when when uh, when I get uh, the go ahead. What's it like to direct? not your own work because you seem to direct mostly your own you and Jay's work what's it like when you have to helm something when you didn't write the words so you don't know every angle and you don't know what the writer was thinking because you didn't write it is that a challenge to you it's a challenge but it's it's vital I have to know it in and out whether I wrote it or not because it, whether I wrote it or not doesn't change the fact that every department, every role, every person on that set is going to ask me every question under the book about the characters, the script, the story, everything. So um, you have to make it your own. And I always talk with, uh, you know, a great example is um, Christmas Angel, uh, which was, you know, was a very intimate story uh, about a little girl who winds up meeting an angel next door, played by Della Reese, or she thinks she's an angel. And I had lovely conversations with the writer, Andrea, uh, like for weeks, weeks prior to, to shooting, um, and, and guiding her through some revisions and then talking to her about characters. And she came to the set. Uh, which was great to have because if there was a question, you know, I think the stupidest thing you could do as a director is is say an answer, give an answer for the sake of making people think you know what you're doing. So I think, and I learned this from Bill, one of the best things you could do as a director is say, I don't know, uh, and, and figure it out because you're only doing the story a disservice if you try to BS your way through it. Uh, so the answer is whether you write it or not, you have to know it inside and out. And uh, um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I think there are, there are a couple of films I've done that I haven't written. You know, Baby on Board is one of those as well, where, I, you know, I didn't have, and it was very early on in my career, so I didn't really have the, I don't believe I had the writing skills to, to write it, even if I had the opportunity to write it. Um, but that was a script written by the finance tier. And, and I knew there were problems with it. But I also knew the, the politics of, of getting the movie made and, and getting, getting you know, the chance to work with such a great cast and all that. So it's a fun little ride when you're working in this business. And, but now, now I'm very you know, vocal and specific about uh, my notes 
prior to, to getting involved with any project. Now, now, is it hard now for you? I mean, when they when you have had the little baby, the little girl at home, is it harder for you to go away and shoot off of out of LA? I mean, it must be frustrating sometimes. Or does she get to come visit you, or how's that work? She, uh, it's it's very frustrating to, to be away from her even for one day. But it's you know fortunate enough. My wife's amazing, and uh, and and we're kind of fortunate enough to be able to mostly coordinate them coming to the set. Um, for at least chunks of time. The only movie since Cleary was born that she hasn't been on the set of is Love Always Santa because it was too cold in Minnesota. It was just too cold for them to come for her to come out. It was negative seventeen degrees and miserable, and and we were shooting outside, and I didn't want to subject them to it, you know. Uh, so I you know could get a hug, you know, but. Uh, but that was tough. When I got home, I, you know, I was I, I was a bawling mess when I left them, and I was a bawling mess when I came home, just because you know you just it, it, one week that goes by, you know, when your kids, you know, on the cusp of turning two years old, everything changes. She's a whole different, you know, whole different beast. So um, yeah, I don't like missing any of it. You, you got to talk to your uh, your people though, your 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 management team because. You got Minnesota in the winter. You got Vegas or Palm Springs in the summer. You got to say, you know, hey, why you, why don't you get them to send you to Marlton? Why, why don't you shoot something in Marlton in the fall? I got to come back to Marlton. I, the last thing I shot in Marlton was my day with Drew. You remember we had the scene where I go home and visit my parents? Right. Oh, yeah. Now, would you want to shoot a movie back in the Philadelphia area? I would love to shoot a movie back home. I would love to problem is is how do you get new jersey to get on the the train and 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 have some tax rebates to right. make it worth shooting there it's so expensive to shoot there See. um and that's the trick so if you have a big enough budget it's worth it you could make it work uh but uh, you know if you're playing around at the million dollar budget level or even five million dollar budget level it, it doesn't the numbers don't add up as best they can um you know i'm supposed to be doing a film with Bruce Stern, uh, 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 which I'm really stoked about, and George Folsey Jr., who's who's the, you know the producer of uh, American Wealth in London, Trading Places, Coming to America, uh, you know all, all these classic films, Three Amigos, uh, and I've been he and I've been trying to work together for years now, and, and that film called uh, God's Gone Fishing is supposed to happen in the fall, and uh, boy, if I could get a a movie like that to shoot New Jersey in the fall, I'd be a very happy guy. Well, cool, man. Well, hey, man, I want to thank you for coming on. Uh, I, I love it, man. I, I, I'd come on whenever you want me to. Now, 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 were they cars? Were they cars or the ocean that I heard every once in a while? It's the ocean, buddy. Oh, ocean. man, you suck. Oh. I'm sorry. I didn't want to say anything, but about half, halfway through the interview, a dolphin went by. So oh, that's the noise I heard. I thought it was a kid. <laughs> no. So, so what, what's your Twitter? Uh, me. Uh, at Brian Herzlinger? At Herzlinger, yeah. Okay, so people, check Brian out. Also, follow me on Twitter. That's at Cooper Talk. That's at Cooper Talk. Go to my website, coopertalk.net, coopertalk.net, over 517 episodes. Actually, that's how many are. I, to- I posted the lead singer of the Hooters, Eric Bazilian, today. What? Yeah, well, I'll, we'll, talk, we'll talk when this is over. I'll tell you the story. Well, I'll, oh, my God. Wait, wait, wait. wait for, I'll talk to you in just a, a minute. Okay. And off air, I'll tell you because it's very cool. Anyway, people, so yeah, do that. Go to coopertalk.net. Uh, uh, send me an email, cooper at coopertalk.net. Um, 
Instagram, Cooper Talk One. Words with friends, Cooper Talk One. I'll play you. I like playing this stuff. And my other website, StopTheSalt.com. That's my cookbook, low sodium uh, cooking for one without without killing yourself. 120 easy recipes. Get it at Stop. You can get it at Barnes and Noble or Amazon.com. Get it at StopTheSalt.com. And you know what? I make more money. I'll sign it. So people, go check out Brian Herslinger on IMDb. Please check him out. Follow me at Cooper Talk on Twitter. I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guest. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins, and I will talk to you guys next week.